it's not really about my hand as such. Mm-hmm. It's about generating the ideas and sort of creating the relationships for multiple things to exist. Welcome to Third Culture Africans, the lifestyle podcast for dreamers, thinkers, and doers. We celebrate artistry, share stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed, listen to diverse perspectives on African success, and those shifting the needle on culture. I'm Zezo Sal, your host. On this episode of Third Culture Africans, we have Ifanyi Ogamu of Expand Design. He is a furniture and design scientist who has built a business on the most important question, why? He's probably one of our most modest guests and is a brilliant technical mind. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did picking the brains of a scientist who is making beautiful works that we all live with and have encountered and who's reimagining basic furniture pieces into beautiful objects. Thank you, Fine, for joining us on this episode of Third Culture Africans. Thank you so very much for having me. It's such a wonderful privilege to be sitting here. Oh, thank you. So I met Ifine for the first time today in person, but have been, I guess, living with your work for a while. I think I said this to you before we started recording. And what's so interesting about your work, and I'll let you tell all our listeners what you do. So you started Expand Design 10 years ago, similar to actually Malay. So I've been going for 10 years and you create the most fantastic architectural furniture pieces. I guess the French will say objet d'art and we've all lived with it for a while. I guess if that's the right way of putting it. And now I was saying to you before we started recording, it's nice to actually be able to give your perspective on that journey because seldomly do we think about the objects that we encounter day to day and so i'm excited to be sharing your 10-year anniversary thank you so very much i started expand design formally i would say 2010 when when i first presented in milan but maybe a year and a half before that i had a very sort of like loose framework for creating design objects so my background I'm an architect and a designer, and I wanted a sort of platform to sort of work architecturally at a scale that I could, in a way, like manage myself, basically. So the objects are experiments in technology, experiments in materials, experiments with form, color, and yeah, the typologies themselves, basically. So you're you're somewhat of a scientist when it comes to furniture and design. Well, well, my... (laughs) I had five years experience working in engineering. So working as an architect in an engineering context. So working through problem solving, like resolving issues with structure and how, you know, like complex architectural scenarios create, you know, urban configurations that would be, you know, more kind of livable, basically. Amazing. So my notes say, your creations are for the super wealthy question mark. I don't, I'm not sure that's the case. But I think a lot of your pieces are owned by incredibly popular people or famous people. So the objects range from, we've got little pieces like the pedestal. Yeah. And we've got jewelry. Yes. 
And then there's um, cityscapes, cityscapes jewelry mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. in gold, and there's a series in silver, mm-hmm. and that collection is now being expanded to include titanium, for example. Mm-hmm. There are pieces because they're very experimental, yeah, and they're very kind of produced in very small volumes mm-hmm. as limited editions. They tend to slide on the expensive side, but I wouldn't say that they're all prohibitively expensive. But is that something that you... Because I, I welcome it because it's it's a celebration of craftsmanship. It's a celebration of the work that you put in. And I think we are often apologetic for creating luxury goods um, with a certain price point, yeah. especially within our community, because the statement's always, oh, but who can afford that? But lots of people afford your pieces. Yes. And then I've also been lucky to work with pieces that are created for the public realm Mm. like when i did an installation in stockholm in a park creating like a sort of bench reinventing a park bench bench, Mm. creating a sort of like living room scenario Mm. out in a public space Mm. or when i did a unique design for a ping pong table Mm -hmm. in shenzhen for example so Mm. these pieces were open and available for anyone to come and interact with activate the surfaces and play with basically and that's 100 free this podcast is sponsored by malay natural science malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes alluring scents and ancient wisdom of africa their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100 percent natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal protect and pamper your skin Malay ships worldwide and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. Briefly touched on being, I guess, someone who's experimenting. So your works all somehow are born from this desire to play around, um, to test the limits of different materials, different, I guess, methods. And wondering how did you either develop the need for that or I'm not sure if the right word is need or the desire to even go where no one's gone before without quoting Star Trek. That's a very good question. I think about that, especially now that you said the studio Mm. is moving into the 10th year. I'm thinking, how do I celebrate this Mm. sort of mark this point in the studio's development? So I'm thinking what sort of pieces might be suited for not reinvention but i think when i'm making work before the form and before the material the Mm -hmm. typology is very important for example like i don't really accept that a chair has to be a certain shape or Mm. it has to do certain things so i would start with that i would start by why does that have to be that way Mm. and why can't it be this way you know like between those sort of laws of gravity and Mm economics and sustainability and oh. is that something you take into consideration with your work sustainability because yeah. it's a buzzword now but it is for everyone it means yeah. something different for me it means sort of material economy like mm-hmm. how do i work economically with materials using the least to achieve the most basically so your view when you say for instance have a sheet of gold and you're creating cityscapes how many sheets or can or i do this all be... in one sheet for example, yeah. it could be that, or it could be, how do I reuse offcuts from a marble piece? Like I have this crater table, yeah. which is, is two pieces connected to make a suite, mm-hmm. but the smaller piece is actually generated from the offcuts of the main 
desk. Oh, wow. Yeah. But was, is that something that was conscious in your mind when you approached a project because of cost on your part or just generally that is your way of creation? I would say more a way of creation mm. is like when you're cooking, for yeah. example, you just use everything yeah. or you can throw things away. Yeah. So it's the same logic, I guess, that helps me think about reusing or even reusing molds mm. with the metal work that I create, for mm. example. I have a series called the Bulge and the Bulge Inverted. Mm -hmm. One is wall-mounted and one is a freestanding piece. Mm. They look completely unrelated, but they're made from the same source. Mm. So you have a, a former that allows you to sort of configure different things. And mm. for me, that's also quite interesting to challenge things that you make, mm. to push them as well. Mm. To and you're working across everything. So metal, stones... Yes. All natural materials. And, uh, yes. And I also like I work with composites, mm. but what I'm able to do that because I'm a very small sort of setup, mm. like it's, I have lots of people that I can trust and lots mm. of people I can rely on mm. to help me realize different types mm. of projects. So it, I don't have to set up a big factory to create with one material. I can kind of count on different manufacturers, different specialists mm. to sort of give me the best of what they do basically but do you approach each material differently when looking at wood versus looking at metals more precious metals do you look at those and go you have your own personality or your own limitations or your own view on how you would approach that yeah i would say so like with marble for example i've worked specifically to think about its weight and mm. only that so i, I would say okay I'm making three or four marble pieces over a period of time, mm. not as a sort of release of one collection, but over a period of time, I might start with half a ton. That could be a realization of half a ton. And then the next project, I might think I would like to create something which is vast, but mm. also it could be 20 kilograms or 25 kilograms. So I have to set up these parameters that allow me to work within the material. But sometimes you let the material do stuff that it doesn't want to do. But each piece is unique in the sense that, because I think there's always this perception that objet d'arts are always handmade, can't be produced in a factory, but your approach to each of your pieces is completely different to that. Your pieces aren't just an object that I've created that is beautiful, that should be appreciated because of the craftsmanship. And the craftsmanship is not always by the works of your hands only. So, you know, for some of your pieces, you would design them, but due to, for instance, a park bench and the way your park bench is made, you weren't necessarily sitting there with a nail and a hammer knocking the park bench together. Yeah, I would say like very early, in my sort of development, I sort of decided to have a, it's not controversial, but I have a very hands-off approach. Mm. Like I don't, it's not really about my hand as such. Mm -hmm. It's about generating the ideas and sort of creating the relationships for multiple things to exist within the space of the work, either from the manufacturing perspective or from the using perspective. That's for me, like the interesting part. So I never probably try my very best not to touch anything, like yeah. not even, well, I mean, the works are signed, for example, mm. but I try not to sign them sort of, you know. Yeah. 
with my own hands, you know. <laughs> and and this is this is based on hey, these are my strengths and I'm going to stick with them. Was that conscious for you? Or? It's conscious. I mean, if you think about the way buildings are made, mm. where you send off a set of drawings and you know the drawings have been checked, the structures have been tested. Mm. So all that's left is for someone to actually, or a team of people mm. to actually bring them to life. Mm. And I, I think of furniture and objects in the same way. So for example, the cityscapes, mm. they started off with very kind of small experiments on paper. Mm -hmm. They kind of evolved into 3D prints. Mm -hmm. They've kind of moved 3D printing in synthetic materials into 3D printing on metals mm. before they became edited by Elisabetta Cipriani mm -hmm. to piece that's created by hand in gold, for example. So like they have the sort of like yeah. evolution. And how long does that process take on average for you? I like it to take a year, but sometimes wow. it takes it could take a couple of years actually. So that collection has been growing very slowly and steadily since I would say maybe 2014. And it's still not even midway yet. And is it something you just, put on the back burner and then you come yeah, back to it? Yeah, and yeah, then you absolutely. feel you feel re-inspired and then yeah. you pick it up again. Yeah. So sometimes I get to a point where I actually can't move it any further, but then I might have like a breakthrough. Like sometimes it might take, you know, months or years, but as long as it happens, then you know, it's totally fine. Wow. For example, with the different scales and, and how the piece interacts with the body. And that's very kind of intimate. It's not like a chair where everyone kind of has a, a way of sitting on things. Whereas like with the jewelry, it's very specific and very mm. intimate. It really kind of has to work and has to be very comfortable. And so those are things I work through. My notes also say you've been featured and I, I kid you not, where have you not been featured? You have been everywhere. Wow. <laughs> I can list some of them. Harper's Bazaar, Marie Claire Maison, New Yorker, Architectural Digest, FTL Decor, CNN, Vogue, Vanity Fair, Sotheby's, Art Basel, Zaha Hadid, Bauhaus, TFAF. Publications and exhibitions alike, your work has traveled literally the globe. Yeah, I guess I'm lucky that... So modest. Well, it's, it's just, you know... <laughs> you think it's, it's luck? Well... It's a mixture of everything, right? You have to do some of the work and then you have to have the kind of good fortune to be embraced by these different organizations and people and friends. And You don't think there's anything about your work or you that makes that possible? I think the work is the work. Like, I try to separate myself from it as much as I can. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I can go for a walk in the park, enjoy the weather, but the work is just something... That is, I try to not make it too personal. It's very strange because a lot of people say it might be a work of art or it might be a work of design. But if I'm detached from it, then I think it's neither design or art or anything. So just... what's the inspiration to create then? Because you're saying you detach, but is it a form of your expression that you put out and then let go? No. I mean, you have a responsibility for the works in okay. a way. Yeah. So you don't really detach you, then? Responsibility meaning they have to present it, the way it's talked about, the way it's used. You have to guide people through it. That sort of responsibility. Within that, though, 
there's a part of you that's in the work because you conceptualize it. You yeah. think, you ask the why question, right? Yeah. You, your thing is you look at something and go, but why can't it be something else? But in the process of doing that, you then labor over a piece of work or a design or I guess an alternative answer to how we already see the world to create, whether it's a discussion or an alternative. That's exactly it, I think. It's just to create a way of seeing the world maybe works for you, like works for me, basically. It's like, I see this configuration as working in that scenario, for example. So it's dreaming and experimenting, basically. But once the experiment's done, you just, you're done. Well, no, I'm not really done. I mean, it's, I, I have to, sometimes it's never the end result, right? Like, sometimes the experiment is kind of something that is on a journey towards the next experimental as it's being produced or as it's being realized you you find that there might be something else to open up another type of debate or another type of discussion so i always see them as kind of points like fixed points within a kind of bigger field you know like it goes back to the title of the studio expand design which is borrowed from a movement where things are literally expanded on by cross-pollination through interdisciplinary action or, you know, like something in an expanded field is something that is existing. to infinity and beyond, yeah, really. basically. Wow. So I guess for me, back to where you've been and how your work has evolved from the travel you've done. So Asia, Latin America, North America, Africa. In the last 10 years, you've really allowed not just I guess yourself, but also expand design to have conversations in different spaces across the world and being open to that or that mobility within, I guess, yourself. Have you found that that's influenced your work in any way? Yes. It gives you a chance to reevaluate your perception of certain scenarios. What have you found the most influential from that experience for you? Is it sort of more about techniques and technology or is it very much about how you then start to see your designs very difficult to answer okay yeah extremely difficult i mean there are techniques and materials that i tend to enjoy working with more like i try to be as neutral as possible Mm. but there's some things that like if i'm in a car factory and i'm looking at the way metals being maneuvered or just machines and robots and these sort of things i just you know ideas start coming up and Mm. yeah for example is it conscious for you though to kind of go oh but i must use a certain material i think there's always like a range of things that i must sort of do within Mm. maybe before the expiration date basically i just try to activate different experiments within the studio and then just kind of bring them to life and see how that goes basically Okay, so to early, early you, you started off schooling in Nigeria. Yeah, so I was born in Nigeria and I left when I was about 17. And you were in what state in Nigeria? I was in Delta State. And then moved to the US? I moved to Chicago, yes. Oh, the Windy City? Windy City. Was it windy when you arrived? It was actually. <laughs> it was. I arrived in December. Oh, God. Yeah. It was... Um, I mean, a baptism was, of cold. Yeah, I had been many times, but never in December. So, so you was, arrived and thought it was well. It was cold. Okay, snow everywhere, and uh, yeah, it was fun. Kind of 
in terms of assimilating and adjusting from, I guess, Delta State into Chicago and that ecosystem. And obviously you went in and you, you were studying at a prestigious university. And I guess at that time, your path, did you always see expand design coming for you or you were happy sort of going down the architectural route and becoming an architect or, you know, working in that capacity? So I guess it's interesting, the question, because before moving to Chicago, I'd, I'd already done some internships at my dad's office. He had a urban planning and architecture office in Delta State mm. and a, a branch in Lagos, but I was working, interning mostly in, in worry. Mm-hmm just sort of observing and before you know i was moving into university i had already experimented just a little bit with computer aided design which Mm. was kind of taking on in the 90s yeah cad (laughs) taking on what's moved so far now yeah i guess by the time i started in first year in university which was a couple of months after i moved to the states i was just you know already very not anxious I don't you were ready to, yeah, I was to just kind of, ready you wanted to, more. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted more, basically. So I was always sort of questioning things and pushing things mm. and, you know, I don't know. And not then, really accepting things as they were as they were presented, basically. Would you say that's, that's the experiment then? It could be, yeah. Because now no one draws by hand anymore. No. Or very f- few people do. Mm. And if you're building, you need you know, like CAD or BIM or other systems to bring your ideas to buildability. But back then it was a debate of, could you actually do that? Mm. And as a young person, you're you're thinking, well, that's not really a good question to ask. Why can't you do that? Mm. If If the two outcomes are identical, then yes, the answer is absolutely yes. The show is Third Culture Africans. Mm -hmm. And what I found is a a sort of common thread um, amongst everyone on the show being that they're all third culture kids that have followed either a question or a passion or an interest and at the same time created these businesses that are not only serving, I guess, themselves and that desire, but also serving to create or, or to forge a path for our culture and our communities that certain careers or certain choices in careers can be made possible. And what you do is so unique that growing up, I think, you know, it would be like, oh, he's a carpenter, you know? Yeah. That, that wow. would be... <laughs> That would be the most rudimentary description. And being a carpenter is not something that a middle-class African parent would say, you know what, go forth and become the world's best carpenter. Because certain careers like jewelry design weren't things that were put to the fore in our consciousness growing up. I don't know how it was in your household. I was always a bit experimental. I would, you know, help friends with proposals people might want you know like video games were big in the 80s and people big might, time yeah exactly Sega mega drive Se- exactly i i and loved my Sega mega drive <laughs> sonic exactly i don't know if you're going <laughs> street to see fighter. street fighter sonic yeah. super mario yeah people wanted different ways of presenting those things yeah. or creating communities to play yeah you know Have so tournaments yeah exactly in summer you know fighter dido the seven up the seven up yeah, guy yeah one of our family friends was great at drawing and so he would draw these comics 
with Fido Dido. And then I would go to my dad's office and Xerox them and sell them. So you were an entrepreneur from a yes, young age. I, I quite enjoyed it. Um, but I found actually early on, I had no idea what I was doing. I just thought the idea of Xeroxing these comics, which I was yeah. enjoying, needed to be shared. That's amazing. I guess, is there a part of your work, and I say that because is there a part of your work for you that is about sharing? Absolutely. Because I'm not really making the work for my use. I also try not to live with my work wherever mm -hmm. possible. Literally, I honestly have to separate myself. So Wow. Yeah. So you have zero. I, I do have some pieces, but okay. I, I, was I don't. Say, that's kind of like. No, no. I don't like, I get, go out I get of my that, way though. to. I get that though, because for me, everyone says, oh my God, so you must use your products 24 seven. And in the same way as you, you live with it for much longer than the consumer. You're, and then you're also working on the next project and the next thing that it can't consume all of you because yeah. then there isn't enough of you for the next creative venture or yeah. the next creation. On my notes, I write something around sort of Bini culture artisans. I'm Bini originally, yeah. and we have this huge artisan. Yeah. And for us, it's not carpentry, right? It's not the yeah. African carpentry. It's it's really something that's with the bronze works and is part of our history. Do you feel like growing up in Delta State and having the proximity to those sorts of works influenced you in any way? So my dad grew up in Benin. Mm -hmm. I think he spent early teenage years in Benin. So he's very drawn to Benin sculpture and art from that region. I was lucky enough to grow up with a lot of that work around the house. Looking back, I think I quite like the way Benin artists sort of explore volume mm. and form. I mean, I have looked at Benin jewelry as a sort of like inspiration source. I look at that as a very kind of specific thing. I look at it and two things come out. I say, okay, mm. this piece is beautiful because the interior surface is very mathematical mm. and the exterior is very ornamental. And then that's it. I'm not actually looking at anything else. Mm. So like I can use those two points to do something else in my head, mm. for example, you know, and I could transform, you know, mathematical surface into other scales. It could be something that fits in your hand. It could be something that fits in your body. It could be a room, you mm. know, so it's quite elastic. Basically. Before we started filming, you, you spotted my Uyo set. We're trying to get a game in. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Before you go. Is there something about the maths in life or things that you find solving the equation in your design part of the experiment? Because you were drawn to it instantly. Um, and you speak like a technical person, which is quite interesting considering that we all appreciate your work from a very aesthetic perspective. That's very interesting because even when I'm thinking about ornaments, I'm thinking about it in a very sort of like formal sense. Like I'm thinking of it as something that affects the topology and the kind of original form of the object in itself. Like if I'm thinking now on my work, what's ornamental and what's structural, I think the two sometimes are very interlinked and structure sometimes when it's overdone or overdetermined then it becomes it changes into something else and i guess back to the typology of things when you kind of overdetermine them then it slips away from the chair or the design or jewelry or something 
and become something else, basically. One of my questions, and this is my own personal question, because I'm just nosy. Who's one of the famous people that owns your pieces? Because you just had a whole thing in Harper's Bazaar. I think it's Harper's Bazaar home, they call it, right? Yeah, interior. Yes, yeah. and you just had a whole profile on you and I guess your pieces. Do you know the people who have yeah, your pieces? Yeah, I know some of them. Most I've, famous? Go I'm, on, I, go I, on. I, I, I'd rather. Go on, tell us, <laughs> tell us, or we'll have to I Google mean, it. I don't know. Like no one's actually posted anything yet, so we see it in the magazines yeah. when they shoot their interior ho and their homes. I'd rather just let them enjoy their discretion of you know living with. Do or... you sometimes know who's bought your pieces? Yeah, sometimes. So you know? Yeah, sometimes I do. Like some some people I know about, some I don't. Or I might get a picture from the gallery to say such and such collector bought something. This is what he does. And this is what she does. Do you have a pinch me moment? Has Have you had like someone who you fan over, like buy your work? Yeah, I mean, there's some sort of experts yeah. who I've come, come across as I was learning and developing, who developed an appreciation for the work in return. And that's very sort of gratifying and rewarding, basically. Your first pinch me moment in your career? It's been 10 years. I guess when you look back, sometimes you think, I actually did that and it's just a little bit crazy. Either creating some of the works, some of them are just completely, I think some of them are just completely crazy. Mm. Or the idea to show them without any sort of like framework as such and just kind of going on a whim and saying, I want to show in this city, mm. I want to show this, you know, I've been lucky in Is that there a sense. thought around choosing where, how? Because you've been everywhere. Yeah, at the, uh, at the onset, I was working a lot in Milan. So yes. showing a lot in Milan, you meet, you know, lots of specialists from the industry, lots mm. of press. And that's where I met my first gallery, for mm. example. So it's a kind of beautiful ecosystem to plug into and kind of share work, basically. And then, of course, a lot of the people from that have you know like evolved into mentors and mm. you know good friends mm. so it's been it's been an interesting journey what prompted you to make the leap from working at other firms um because you, you mentioned you had a year and a half of you pretty much playing around with the idea of yeah. doing this what was a defining moment for you where you said actually i'm going to do this for real so I had made maybe one piece and when I wanted to present like a collection, like a first sort of collection of work, different ideas put together to create something coherent, I thought I probably would benefit from having a framework, like a, a, a more formal setup just for everyone's benefit, for my benefit and for the benefit of anyone who might wish to interact with the pieces. So I just, yeah. Gave up a salary and decided to go for it? Oh, I just, you know, the salary, I was, at the point I was working part-time anyway, so. So you had already committed to it? Partially, yes. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Now, where next? 10 years in? 10 years in, I'm excited. Where'd you go next? I'm excited about, you know, creating new work same materials i think the next pieces will be in wood and possibly mm. some jewelry and titanium titanium is very interesting because it's unlike 
other metals like precious metals mm. that have been kind of prehistoric titanium was only invented i think in 1800s mm. and became sort of like an industrial kind of material, material in the 60s yeah. as so, opposed to one of design yeah. yeah so it's i'm learning a lot i guess i'm still learning a lot and um yeah is there an element of education with what you do yeah very much every day like everything is kind of educational like i have to learn i have to push the people that are teaching me about manufacturing and everything has to be kind of pushed and is there an aspect of this because what you do is also so technical that i want to say that i wish i paid more attention in physics because there's such a element of that right understanding the limits of a material to then be able to stretch your imagination to figure out what can i create out of this that perhaps the world has never seen before and how can i do this in a way that's unique to you the creator and also unique to to the end consumer should they interact with it because i think what's most special about your work is that everything that you do is stuff that people interact with none of it is sort of ornamental yeah true thanks i mean thanks that's a very kind observation <laughs> but it's true it's just my interest in materials and technology that drives a lot of it, I guess. So next 10 years, more creation. More creations. And also like moving towards architecture, mm. like creating more sort of kind of spaces, you know, architectural scale projects. I've mm. done a few over the last 10 years. Mm. I think this year already I'm working on two. So nice. let's see how that goes. And, and for a young person who's considering... I guess, exploring. And I don't want to say objet d'art or furniture because after our conversation now, it seems like a lot more than that. For someone who's considering putting out their own work or testing if their own experiments will yield anything yeah. in the way that you have, what advice would you give to someone who perhaps sees wood in a different way to the, the way the rest of us do or another stone different to the way I would see it but somewhat in the same train of thought as yeah. in the way that you see it and they don't know where to begin well I think the best way to begin is just to begin just to begin <laughs> yeah and just to sort of like take a leap mm. and because there's a game not a game but mm. it's there's a lot of unknowns you know and the only way to find out how far you can stretch something is to actually stretch it and to test it out. And I think young people today can do so much with social media and, you know, just they have a kind of capacity to reach a lot, a lot of people mm. with images. Yeah. So just to go out there and make, make something and present it in whatever platform social media exhibitions and anything just to get out there for anyone who's listened to this episode and has no idea about expand design yeah. or your work where can they interact with or find your work anywhere in the world like if you can list a few places because there's a lot of places <laughs> yes so you can find my work at i have a gallery in paris who also has a space in Majev, mm -hmm. uh, gallery amel sawyer She's been showing the work since 2013. I have um, a gallery in London that shows the um, the jewelry works. Mm -hmm. Gallery Elisabetta Cipriani. Mm -hmm. She works mostly with artists. Mm -hmm. 
to sort of present creations by artists. Spaces like Taffeta that mm-hmm. have works in their sort of kind in of situ, in, in situ in, mm. in, on the side of the gallery. And then upcoming shows? Upcoming shows I'm discussing at the moment to do something in London, in Soho. And that would be nice. It's still sort of early days, mm. but it would be a nice way to show in London. I've done some of the design fairs in London, mm. some of the art fairs in London, but it would be a nice way to show work in a kind of gallery in central London. Just the work of my of my creation. Is there a show you haven't done that you would like to do? Because you've done almost all. Well, I've done, yeah. You've done almost all, Basil. You've done pretty much all of them. I would like to show more in the States. I mean, I've lived in the States for a yeah. long time. I don't think I've ever done a show in Chicago, for example. Can't, Interesting. Yeah, I don't think I've ever done. I've done one or two in New York. I'd like to do more in London because I'm based mm. here. Do more in Nigeria mm. as well, you know. I've done... A few shows in Lagos. Yeah. South Africa, you've done? I have. I'm not sure, actually. You've done, you've been featured a lot in South Africa. Yes, I have. You've been featured, but, but I figured those features were as a result of your works being in South Africa. I'm not sure, huh. actually. Yeah. I visited South Africa once last year and I, I love it. Yeah. I'd love to do more and show more on the continent, actually. Where do our readers find you? On social media? On yeah, your website? Have, your website, website reads like a digital publication. Well, yeah, it's a bit like a diary. Yeah, it's just been developed. It was just been developed over the last 10 years, and that's kind of how it, it's grown. It's not really like a kind of gallery to go and look. You have to search for things. You do. Yeah, I mean, some people find that exciting. Some people don't yeah. really like it. But I mean, it's just oh, something that works for me. And I'm able to sort of archive records and just kind of keep the projects in a space where I can easily be kind of referenced by myself and others. And on social media? I have a personal um, Instagram. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's just things that I see. Some I share some of my work on there sometimes. It's my name. First name, last name, Ifani Ogano on Instagram. Okay. So one of the things I do on the show is have our listeners know what your real name is. Because living in uh, developed worlds or first worlds, our names all get twisted. My real name is as shown. (laughs) (laughs) No, but the pronunciation though. Okay. That's Um, quite controversial. The the pronunciation is where it gets quite, um, (laughs) should I say, and we... I personally accept whatever version I get of my name. Okay, what version? Oh, What's, I get okay. ZZ, I get... Oh, God, I don't even bother with my full okay. name, which is Osazeme. Osazeme, okay. um, But so, I get right. Osazman, Oz, Oz. I, I've gotten every version. Yeah. How How is your name said properly? My name is Ifani Ogaun. Luckily, the first name hasn't been shortened. Well, mine's just Ifani. There's yeah. a longer version. There's different versions, but my parents just gave me that version. And what have you been called several times that you're not sure who um, that person is? To be honest, I it just flies. It's mostly the way people write it. Okay. You know, like, because I, you know, lots of emails yeah. or letters and things. So people just, you know, spell it. I, I like epiphany. Like when people okay. call me like. Epiphany? Yeah. Stop. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Thanks for joining us, Epiphany. Yeah, mine is when they take a deep breath. They take a deep breath and I know it's me. I just get up. <laughs> I just get up. I'm like, yep, yeah, it's me. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming. 
I really enjoyed our episode today. It's been, in my notes, I wrote lots of things, but I think it's definitely been, for me, an introduction into your mind. And one of the things that I wanted to do with this episode, especially with you, was to delve into the mind of someone who creates things that even the average person cannot imagine. And that's how I see your work, because it's beyond anyone's imagination of what a bench should look like or what a chair should look like or even what a ping pong table should look like and those questions are things that seldomly were taught to ask in our culture and in our communities and hopefully this episode has given someone out there who has those questions the confidence to continue to want to push forward and explore and it's one of my most specialized episodes and purposefully done because I'm trying to create a safe space for different thoughts within our communities and thirsts of our listeners to be able to tap into different ecosystems, as you call them, and understand that there is room for alternative ideas and there is a way to make a living like you do. And what you do is beyond just a business. It's, I would say it's purpose and it's purposeful work, not just as the function of somewhere to sit or, you know, etc. But I think in our wider community, a mutual friend, you know, you were the first name that came to mind when I asked for a recommendation of someone who is dedicated to a particular field. And I want to say thank you for, for coming, coming thank out on so the show. Thank you so very much. And thank you for the very kind and generous questions and the bigger project as well, like just to share with other people. Yeah, and hopefully like, hopefully document our time because I think this is a very unique time. There's enough of us yeah. that I think it deserves to be documented. The last time anything like this was done in our community was sort of post-colonial era and it was such a short space of time and we all live off of whatever little that was documented then as our points of reference. And then there's this big lull and gap. And to be able to create or start to create that point of reference again, where it is curated by us and not curated in a fragmented manner based on each of our individual pursuits in our individual spaces. Is I woke up one day and was passionate about the thoughts and and started the podcast. Really amazing. And are you going to have an opportunity to turn the table and have your listeners hear your story as well oh I goodness um i keep toying yeah. with the idea of that i guess if people leave us comments on on this episode perhaps it's something i'll do um i think i do it like you um in our individual spaces a lot but yeah if that's something that our listeners would like then for sure i i would share my journey um and even just the evolution of in the same way that you've evolved in your career i think we all are open to evolving and I think that seems to be a common thread. And certainly from your episode today, it was very much about, you know, asking the questions and being open to putting yourself at the fore to, to kind yeah. of exploring that. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode so of Third Culture Africans. Me. Thank you And um, looking forward to seeing your next project. I will be so happy to share them. And I'm so. sure it's going to be uh, impressive. And perhaps another part of the world that no one's ever explored, you will well, be there. I, I, that would be great. <laughs> great. Thank you so much. Thank Ibai. you so very much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Third Culture Africans, the Lifestyle Podcast. We would love to hear from you. So please find us on Facebook or Instagram at Third Culture Africans and leave us a comment. A review goes a long way in getting our show noticed. So please leave us one if you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time.